This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thank you so much for being here today. We're going to actually be in Philippians chapter 1, so I'm going to invite you to turn to your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 as we're going to be looking at uh, a passage of Scripture where Paul is actually writing a letter from prison. And as he's writing this letter from prison, he begins to reflect on uh, what we're going to call authentic faith. This authentic faith, and so I want to give a definition of what I mean by that term, authentic faith. And that is a faith that is something that is true, that is genuine. It's one that seeks to advance, really, the gospel through speaking hope of Christ to others and doing that through truth and in love. So I want to read the passage uh, that we're going to look at. It's actually chapter 1 of Philippians, verse, verses 12 through 18. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look at some different aspects of this passage and the importance of what it means for us to live an authentic faith. So notice verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment it, that it is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now, all of us in our personal lives, we want to see uh, a, a certain level of maturity and growth. You know, we want to feel like we're uh, living joyful in our faith. We want to feel like our faith is making a difference. We want to realize, and as we kind of think back through the years, okay, yeah, this is making a difference. I really feel like there's hope. I feel like there's joy in doing that. But sometimes the path to get there isn't always the path that we thought maybe it might be. Paul Negroot was a young man who uh, had gone through the university in Romania and had a, a wonderful opportunity to go to England to study psychology. And he uh, had a desire to be a psychologist. He wanted to come back to his home country and work in a hospital uh, there in Romania. And so he went to England and did his studies in England. And during that time, God began to really do something in his life as he in, interacted with other Christians in the, in the country of England, and God began to really do a work that he really wasn't anticipating him doing. And as he moved back to Romania after, after receiving his doctor's degree and began working in the clinic, um, he realized that God was calling him not to a life of service as a psychiatrist or as a psychologist, but as a pastor. He lived in the city of Aradia, Romania, which is right at the Hungarian border. And there in this city, um, 
there was a church. And over time, he just began to sense that God was calling him not to the hospital, not to just help people in terms of wellness uh, that were in, in the clinic, but that he was calling him to a greater work as a pastor in, that, in a local church in that area. He became the pastor of this small church called Emmanuel Baptist Church, and there in that church began to pastor. But he immediately began to encounter resistance because this was in a time where Romania was ruled by a communist government. And not just a communist government, but a communist dictator that was anti-Christian and really was desiring to make sure that Christianity had little to no influence in the country in which he was the ruler. And he soon realized, Paul soon realized, the cost of being a faithful and obedient pastor would bring him into conflict with the communist government. He sought to distribute Bibles, speak the truth of God's word, to speak truth to the culture when the government solutions often fell short. But yet there would be a cost for all of that. The cost would involve being detained and jailed on numerous occasions, being watched and monitored closely being betrayed by even some of his closest friends, uh, and even living uh, really many times under the threat of, of death. But yet, in the midst of all that, God somehow began to work. And out of that ministry became, came this fruitful ministry. This ministry that to this day, in Romania, if you're looking and going to Europe for the largest Baptist church, it's not found in England, it's not found in France, it's not found in Spain, it's not found in Germany, it's found in the country of Romania, where God has done an incredible work there, and God has brought thousands and thousands and thousands of people to faith. Paul um, and several of the leaders in that country saw the need to uh, educate pastors because there was only a certain number of pastors that were being trained and so out of that um, process they said send your students to Aradia and so they can come here to the university and so they'll study at the university during the day but then they'll study at the seminary at night in the basement of the church and so uh, that became what now is Emmanuel University and that became what now is one of the largest Christian universities in well really the largest Christian university in Romania and um, is training people by the hundreds for full-time Christian service to go out into not just um, that part of the country, but also around the world with the gospel. Apostle Paul had seen his life develop in a way that he probably didn't portray it either. He was uh, raised in a Jewish home and he um, studied with the greatest scholars that were, that were known to Judaism as the time. He became a strong leader, a leader of the Pharisees and the religious sect of his day. And he was zealous. I mean, he was passionate for his faith and knowledgeable about the law and the oral traditions. And he was respected and he was admired by many. By many. And even was standing against a sect that was emerging out of Judaism called the way or Christianity as we would know it. But then something happened. He encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And everything changed. He realized the truth of the gospel. He sought to be faithful to that truth and to speak the gospel to all Jews, to all Greeks that he encountered. But yet, it cost him. 
He was stoned, left for dead, lied about, betrayed, falsely accused, imprisoned. And yet, in this passage that we're going to look at today, Paul says it was through those circumstances that somehow the gospel had made its way to the very household of Caesar. That out of, of, and in a path that no one could have drawn on a map, that was on nobody's 10-year plan to how to get the gospel to Caesar, right? Paul experiences these things. He's faithful to the gospel, yet, yet somehow all of that works to where now he's in Rome and he's having opportunities to share the gospel with others. And it was through his authentic faith that others were being impacted and, it, and the message of the gospel was reaching the highest levels of culture and of government. And there was change and impact that was happening in that part of the Greco-Roman world that would have been unheard of. So I want to just kind of walk back through these verses and just kind of show you what this looks like in terms of authentic faith. So notice the first thing here. The authentic faith advances the gospel. Notice there in verses 12 and 13. He says... Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually happened to advance the gospel. So notice that, what has happened to me. So the circumstances that Paul had gone through had somehow worked in a way, and these circumstances that were happening to him into a way that now somehow the gospel was being advanced. Because he was impacting a lot of culture, and Christianity was impacting culture in many ways. So one of, the, one of the ways, you know, was, was happening there was that in Judaism, people were seeing that Christ was the Messiah. And things began to change. They began changing the Sabbath, right? Rather than celebrating or doing the Sabbath type of activities on Saturday, now they're, they're switching to Sunday and they're gathering together on Sundays. They're changing the Sabbath rituals. They're changing the dietary laws. They begin to see sacrifice differently, this this group of Jews that are believing in Jesus. And they're calling for faith in the the sacrificed Christ who's risen from the dead. And these Jews were rejecting their oral traditions and calling for others not to see themselves as clean or unclean or circumcised as uncircumcised, but the synagogues were emptying. And all of a sudden, Paul was a threat. And so when he went to Jerusalem... He's falsely accused and imprisoned, and now he's had to appeal to Caesar, and he's worked his way to Rome. But Paul was also impacting Greco-Roman culture as well. As people that were once what we would call pagans or or worshipers of of the Roman gods, they were turning from idol worship. They were beginning to reject the practices that they had grown up with. They were rejecting the idols of their home, the idols of their family, the idols of their vocation, the idols of their city. They were, they were rejecting emperor worship, and allegiances were changing, and the temples were emptying. And now Paul is imprisoned in Rome, but he's also on the radar of the Roman government as well because he's not just changing Judaism, he's changing culture and Roman faith and Roman practices as well. So he's under the ear of not only the Roman government but of the Jew- and the Judaism um, leaders as well. And so he's fallen into this situation. But yet somehow, in the midst of all that, Paul says, somehow 
this happened as a way to advance the gospel. That out of all of these circumstances, out of all of these difficulties, who would have thought that that would be the means to which the gospel would move forward? And Paul has seen God take this situation and use it to take the gospel to people and places that otherwise would have been so unlikely. Unlikely places to preach the gospel. And that the gospel all along Paul's journey had been advancing in this trip to Rome. He'd stood before Festus and Felix and Agrippa. He'd experienced a shipwreck. He'd witnessed to the, the soldiers. He'd talked to the people on the island. He even got bit by a snake, you know. You're like, what else could go wrong, you know, on this trip? But yet everything was going right. Because through this thing, this process of circumstances, God was working to take the gospel to these places. And notice what he says here in this verse. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Now that's amazing um, how that had taken place. Notice second, I want to show you this, this passage in 2 Timothy. Now he talks about, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, Descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But notice what he says, but the word of God is not bound. And this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may obtain salvation, which is in Jesus Christ, the eternal glory. Now, notice Philippians 4. And later in this book of Philippians, he says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who are of Caesar's household. And in this passage we just noticed he makes reference to the imperial guard that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to, and to all the rest. Now that's fascinating. So what was the imperial guard and why is that significant? Well there was this group of soldiers who were kind of the elite of the elite, right? They were the special forces of the, uh, of the Roman government. They had been started by Caesar Augustus and it had grown over time. And so the different emperors had kind of used this, what was called the Praetorium Guard, because they had actually been built uh, almost like a, a temple almost, a place of residence there in the city. There's probably anywhere from twelve to 15,000 of these soldiers that actually live in Rome. And so they operate in many ways like some of our uh, secret service and other kind of things. They were there to protect. They were to help with officials. They were there to, to watch uh, imprisoned uh, uh, prisoners of Rome. And so Paul had been had appealed to Caesar. He's now in Rome and he's spending 24 hours a day chained to a Roman guard, one of these praetorium soldiers. And so he, it doesn't matter. He has no privacy. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he's in a, he's not in a jail cell necessarily. He's in a house, he'll say later, in a rented house. And as he's there in that place, day in and day out, people are coming to see him, right? And he's telling the story. People are coming to see, and these soldiers can't get away because he's writing letters to churches. He's meeting and greeting visitors, and he's telling the story of Jesus. He's telling the story of his conversion. He's telling uh, about how all of these needs and how all of these events have come together. And day after day after day, for two years, these soldiers on rotation are there in, with Paul in that house, and they cannot get away, right? No one's, 
They're not saying, well, maybe we'll just let him get away because I'm chained to this. And they're just hearing this. And over time, apparently, these guys who were really known as the kingmakers, right? So if, if they could protect emperors, but they could make emperors go away as well. So that's why they were called the kingmakers. And if they liked an emperor, he could stay in power. If they didn't, uh, they could work him, work him out. But over time, they're listening to this. They're hearing this. And they're going back saying, this guy is the real deal. I mean, this guy is absolutely amazing. He, he's a Roman citizen. He was a Jew, and he converted, uh, you know, he, he learns of this Jesus, and he accepts the, the fact of this Jesus being risen from the dead. And, and all of a sudden, they're going, should we consider that? So maybe, you know, because I have some friends, and they believe that. And so over time, apparently, this message of the gospel is running throughout not only this praetorium guard, but because of their influence into the house of Caesar, there are people that are close to the Caesar, right? Probably members of the Senate, members of this place, that are hearing the gospel are being impacted because of the faithfulness of Paul's life. Because he was living what we would say was an authentic faith. And that authentic faith that he was living was literally having impact on the lives of people and the gospel was advancing and it was taking place uh, again and again. Uh, notice Acts 28.30. Acts 28.30 tells a, a little bit about, gives a picture of this at the end of the book of Acts. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Notice that Christ with all boldness, and notice what it says, and without hindrance. Now, what's the lesson here? Well, the lesson is, I think, that God can take our circumstances and use them as a way to advance the gospel. You know, oftentimes we encounter circumstances, we encounter difficulty, we, we hit something that's difficult in our lives. And so we just feel like, okay, well, this, this just, you know, this is a game changer for me, right? And so we wrestle with things, we, we, we step back, sometimes we doubt maybe how God's working in our lives, when really those may be the very circumstances that God is putting in our life to grow our faith, to, to, to move us to greater depths of spiritual maturity, and to move us in a way where He actually is going to use us to have greater influence and sharing our faith rather than a lesser influence. But it's all in how we view it, right? It's all in how we advance it. And so whatever you, wherever you are, whatever circumstances are going on in your life, wherever it is that God has put you there, put you, it's there for a reason, right? It's there because He wants to move, to use you to move the gospel forward in the life of someone else. He wants to use you in a way. And so for you to say, well, that's just for somebody else, right? That's just somebody else's role to talk about Jesus. That's somebody else's. No, it's not. It's, it's my role. It's our role. It's for each one of us. And God can use whatever circumstances are going in your life. And don't doubt that he has put you in the situation where you are. And that may be a very difficult situation. But don't doubt that God has put you there for the very reason because He wants to use you to advance the gospel. 
He did it in Paul's life. You believe he can do it in yours? I think he can. But notice Paul doesn't stop there. Notice, verse 14, he makes this statement. Because authentic faith not just only advances the gospel, but it speaks the gospel. Notice what he says here. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Now that's amazing. So he was talking about other believers who were looking at him and saying to themselves, if he could still have hope, all right, if he can still speak of the gospel, then why can't I? If he can speak of the gospel, you know what, I ought to be able to speak of that. You know, if, if, if that's true, and there's joy in that, and hope in that, then I ought to be able to speak that as well. Because others gain confidence when we have the courage to act in faith during difficult circumstances. Paul was imprisoned, and yet he's still speaking the gospel. And apparently this was part of, of Paul's impact, was Paul's willingness to continue to share with visitors, with guards, anyone that came into his ability to share with them. And he made the gospel a part of his everyday life. He didn't make these divisions between sacred and secular because every sphere of life is motivated by the gospel. And he spoke the gospel daily to himself and to others. Now here's this is a real issue in our culture. Because somehow we've allowed, and I think, you know, by the world as a whole, to categorize faith into something that's just personal, right? So your workplace says, well, that's just personal, right? That's your faith. You need to just keep that to yourself. You just need to keep that over here. And so this is a part of your secular life, right? This is part of your life. So then you're here. You need to speak about these things. But the voice of speaking about that, then that needs to be separated. And so we divide our lives into these sacred and secular life. This is the sacred part of my life, and then this is the, I mean, this, the, this, this, <laughs> the sacred part of my life, and then this is the secular. But the problem with that is you just don't see that anywhere in Scripture, right? If you're a believer in Christ, all of life is sacred, right? There is no division of, of life, all of life. And faith should be present in my family, it should be present in my home, yes, but it ought to be present in my workplace as well, present in my workplace as well, and in my neighborhood life, and my anywhere I go, I ought to be living my faith and speaking of the gospel, because the gospel is for all of life, not just portions of life, not just compartments, but it's for all of life, and we need to, to remember that we have a responsibility as believers to take the gospel, to take the name of Jesus and the hope of Jesus to every part of our lives, to every sphere of our lives. And notice it says that they are much bold, more bold to speak the word because we realize that we can speak with confidence in what we know to be true regarding what has changed in our life. Folks, we have the joy of Christ, right? We can speak of Him. We have the truth of salvation that Jesus alone can transform lives. We need to speak of Him. We have the ability to speak 
And that to know that when people believe in Jesus, all of eternity can be changed for them. And so why is that something that we want to compartmentalize away when that's something that should be a part of every aspect of our life? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the hope of Jesus? And so there ought to be an ongoing part of our lives that speaks Jesus to other people. Right? Because that's just so important. We do that in other areas of life. Right? Some of you are fans, right? And so it doesn't matter. Somebody's, you know, I, st- I love going to Walmart, all right, and doing this. I'll get in line and I'll see somebody in a cowboy's hat, and I'm like, cowboys. And of course, they think what? That I'm going to shame them, right? I'm going to say, and I'm like, that is the most beautiful hat I've ever seen, right? And so they're like, oh, well, I agree, right? Because, because, because they're a cowboy fan. And they're like, oh, yeah, thank you so much. Are you a cowboy fan? Right? And all of a sudden, we have this camaraderie, you know, to share and to talk about the cowboys and how difficult that, that sometimes can be. But if we can do that with sports teams, right? Why can't we do that with Jesus? Right? Why can't we say Nike? Oh, that's cool. I love Nike. And I I love those passages that use the word Nike in the Bible. You do that to somebody. They'll look at you and say, what? Say, yeah, Nike. Don't you you know that's a word from the Bible? They'll be like, no, it can't be. I'm like, yeah, it's it's a word from, it's a Greek word that means to overcome. Right? So you used all throughout Scripture to admit the one who overcomes, that's Nikos, the word Nike. And you can immediately start a conversation about the hope of Christ through something as simple as that. But we've learned to be creative about certain areas of our life, but not about other areas of our life. But you look at Paul, there was no division. He was speaking Jesus in every part. If he was in a, in, a, in a synagogue where there were Jews, he's speaking Jesus. If he's in a pagan temple... In a pagan city, in the marketplace, he's speaking Jesus. If he's chained to a Roman soldier, he's speaking Jesus. If he's on a shipwreck with a piece of driftwood trying to get to an island and getting himself dried off, the first thing he's speaking, Jesus, right? So every part of his life, he found a way and lived a way where that was a part of who he is. And we have hope and we have joy. We sing about it in our songs. We talk about it in our groups. And the problem is that sometimes that joy and hope somehow never makes it past the front door of that church or past the front door of our homes. And that can't be. That just absolutely cannot be. We need to take the joy of hope everywhere that we go in our personal lives, and we need to speak uh, the hope of Jesus. But notice there at the last part of this verse, he says, without fear. They're more bold to speak the word without fear. So the assumption was, what was it that was keeping them from speaking the word before? Fear. And, And we do, we hesitate. Fear causes us to hesitate. We're often driven by areas of fear. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of people judging, and sometimes even fear of success. Like if I actually succeed, what will I I do then, right? But we need to remember that we can move past fear, and we do that when we see the gains and the rewards of changed lives. Ours and others. If Jesus has changed your life, speak of it. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, speak of it. 
if living as a believer in this day and time has, 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 has made you a better person, then speak of that. Because we need to speak the gospel. And if our faith is genuine and it is real, we need to realize that God will put us places and use circumstances to get us in that place, but he wants to use us to speak the gospel in every sphere and in every area of life. And so if there is an impact in your life, then speak of Jesus. It just has to happen. So what's the lesson? Well, it's this. Lives are transformed when we speak of the gospel. Lives are transformed when we speak of the gospel. Now notice this last thing in verses 15 through 18. I want you to see this. He says here in these verses, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, and others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motive or whether from true, of course he's assuming motive, true motive, Christ is proclaimed, and this is why I rejoice. Now, Paul is basically building kind of this dichotomy of these two different groups. Because others were like, well, Paul, you know, it's not good. There are people who are preaching the gospel for the wrong reasons, right? So what are we going to do about that? And Paul says, well, I realize that, right? There are some that preach Christ. And those in, in verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, he, he lists these from envy and rivalry. You know, maybe someone says, well, you know, I could be the next Apostle Paul. He kind of accomplished a lot of things. And so maybe it is that God's got him in prison so I can be the next Apostle Paul, right? Because they envy his position. They are at odds with him. And so they say, well, here's my opportunity. Some are doing it out of selfish ambition, right? They just want to move their agenda forward. So they're doing it out of selfish ambition. Some are doing it but they're not sincere, right? They're, they don't really believe it. They're just doing it because it seems to be the right thing. Seeking to inflict harm, even. And some with pretense. So apparently there was this group that was working to take advantage of Paul's situation. Maybe they saw, as I said earlier, themselves as the next Apostle Paul. They saw the notoriety of Paul and wanted to be famous. They were preaching the gospel that was clear that it was not for the gain of Christ, but for whose gain? Their gain. So what's the lesson? Well, the lesson is people often appear to be doing the right things, but it's later revealed that they're doing them for the wrong reasons and for the wrong motive. Now, we've seen that, right? We've seen that in the national stage of the evangelical world. We've seen that on local levels, many of you you may have known a pastor or a person that, that was, you know, seemed very effective in their ministry. And then later it was found out that there was something that was going on behind the scenes that no one knew about. And people will often just, just step back from that. They'll be like, I just can't believe that. Right? And they use it almost as an excuse to put their faith on hold. Because that person did it out of the wrong motive, then somehow that means that my faith must stop. 
And that cannot be. That absolutely cannot be. We cannot, um, you know, some preach that way, yes, and some are found out to be that way, but if my faith is genuine, I want you to think, you know, okay, I see that and I see, okay, I'm going to follow that person and admire that person to the extent that they follow Christ. But if they stop following Christ, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep following Christ. I'm going to keep pursuing Him. And far too often we will see things like that happen and use that somehow as an excuse to kick our faith into neutral. People will leave a church and then rather than join another church and find where maybe there is someone that maybe you know, is authentic because those examples are there because Paul's going to talk about that in a minute. They use that somehow as a reason to stumble and to fall back and not to move forward in their faith. But notice what Paul says. Yes, there are those bad examples of that, but there are also the positive examples as well. Notice what he says. Some preach Christ look, out of goodwill. Some are, lives have been changed and they're doing it because they want to see uh, the, the change in lives of other people. They're doing it out of love, out of love for Christ and out of, out of uh, the love for others. They're doing it out of a defense of the gospel because they know the truth of the gospel and they want to defend the faith and they're doing it in truth. Because there was a group also that was working to live genuine lives, wanting to live out the truths of the gospel and they, they did what they did because of a genuine love they had for others because they wanted to be a strong witness for the gospel. They understood the truth, and they lived the truth for the right reason and from a right motive. And so notice the next lesson. Genuine people speaking genuine truth. Genuine people speaking genuine truth. There are good examples in your life, in my life, of people who absolutely have loved Jesus. They have walked with Jesus for years. Their lives have been changed. And I can look at them and say they're working to finish well. And we need to celebrate that, right, and, and, and see that. And when someone says, well, yeah, but I know, say, okay, that's right, sure, that might be the case. But, but what's important is do what you do for the right reasons. Be a genuine purpose, be a genuine follower of Christ, and speak genuine truth. Because we have genuine truth. We have the truth of the ages. We have the truth of Scripture that is um, without error. And so we can speak, and we can speak the truth genuinely. But Paul was speaking of people whose lives were authentic. Now, Paul fell into that category, right? He fell into that category as a genuine believer. And people were seeing him and seeing, hey, that guy's the real deal. And so they were open to that message of the gospel because they saw the genuineness of his faith. Now, a lot of times in this idea of, of talking to others about Christ, we kind of fall into this category of, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to live my faith. I don't necessarily have to talk to people about faith. I don't have to really share the gospel with them. I'm just going to live right a Christian life, and then others will see that, and they'll just, they'll just know. But the problem with that is, while that is good, and that is necessary, as we see here in this passage, it's not enough. 
right? A true lie, a true genuine person speaks the truth of what is within them. And so we have to speak the words of truth. We have to speak the hope of the gospel. And what went together well in Paul's life was that he uh, was in situations and he was speaking the gospel. People were seeing it lived out in his life and then they were hearing that gospel that he was speaking and then they were believing. They were realizing, hey, that's, that's what I've been looking for. And that's what has to happen in our lives, right? We have to own our faith. We have to believe the gospel. We have to be willing to follow. Because a true believer is one who is believing, who is trusting, who is following Christ with a transformed life. But that true believer is also speaking the gospel to others. And so I just think that's so important in our lives. All right, so I want to kind of bring this to a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a purpose. Because we're at a time in the life of our church that I just think this is so, so important. That we've been praying, we've been thinking about ways that we can challenge one another as believers. How can we do well in these areas? How can we be fruitful in these areas that we're talking about? How is it that we can... Realize that every person that's in this room today is here for a reason, right? Every person that's going to hear this sermon at a later time will hear it because God intended for them to hear it. I believe that. And that He would call and bring all of us together for a reason. And that is that we would be in circumstances and in locations and in places in our lives where he would desire to do the same thing that Paul was doing, and that is that people would be influenced by our lives and by us speaking the gospel to them. So I want to ask you to do something. Now I'm at, it's me asking this, Pastor Wilson, this is Pastor Thurman. Starting on March the 1st, we're going to ask you to join us for 30 days in praying for someone that you know needs the gospel. Right? We all have those people in our lives. So some of you were in Sunday school today. We talked about that a little bit there. That there is people who are our friends, who are relatives, who are co-workers, who are neighbors, who people that we have uh, acquaintance relationships with that we know don't know the gospel. And they're not, they've not believed in faith. And so I want to ask you to take some time and identify your one. In fact, in your bulletin, there's a, there is a bookmark that looks like this. And it asks a question. When you turn it over, it says, who's your one? And it gives a place for a name. If you know who that person is already, write that person's name down. Right? And then take this and put it... Um, you know, in your wallet where you can pull it out each day, put it where you have your quiet time, where if you take time and read your Bible each day, put it somewhere where you, each day you're doing your makeup, whatever that might be, doing your hair, Luke, you know, getting it just right before you go out in the morning. And, um, and put that there and where you can be reminded that you're praying for someone. And during the, the 30 days, all right, so this, this gets real technical here, so I want you to draw in, all right? So from March 1st through March 30, right? How many days is that? 30, all right? So 30 days of prayer, right? 
that we would come together as a church from March the 1st through March 30, and we would pray daily for someone that we know needs the Lord, right? So now even it gets better. Now you have this, right? Everybody get one of these in your program that came in your bulletin? So this is a prayer guide, and so you open it up and it says day one. All right, now I have a quiz. All right, you ready? What day is day one? March 1st. Y'all are good, all right? March 1st. So on March 1st, there's a scripture for you to read, and then insert the name of the person you're praying for and pray that prayer for them. And then each day, March 2nd, right? March 3rd, right? Right there, day three, go right through. And then there's even a journal, a place where you can write. Maybe you have a, a scripture reading that you do, and you can write um, something there. And we're going to make a commitment to do this. I'm asking you to make a commitment from March 1st through March 30th to each day pray and use this guide as a way that we can pray for someone. Now, we're going to have this online, right? It's also going to be on social media. So, like, if you follow the church's social media, it'll be there. You'll see those prompts come up to remind you uh, to pray for that. And so we want to make a commitment each day during that time to do these things. Identify someone in your life, right, who's your one. Discover the joy of praying for them. Discover the joy of praying for them. I can look back in my life, and I know that I'm in ministry to this day because of my Aunt Edith and her prayers for me. I would spend two weeks every summer at her farm uh, and go to vacation Bible school in the little country church in the middle of the plains of Kansas, and she prayed for me. And she was a prayer warrior, and I know to this day, just from things that she wrote in journals and things like that, that she was praying that I would go into ministry. And because of the results of her praying for me, God has, was setting my path on a, on a trajectory that I would not, right? I got up to give the senior class president speech two weeks before I graduated. I could barely get through it because I was so scared to speak in front of people. But you know what? Something changed. And I can look back. And could it be that you could pray for somebody and years later be able to share with them, hey, I prayed for you. Right? And know that that made a difference for them for eternity. And then during that 30 days, take time to share with them. Right? Give some thought to how you could share your testimony. How you could share faith with that person that you're praying for. And then... Invite them to church. Anybody know what March 31st is? Easter, right? So you can invite them to church. What a, what, a, what a great time to invite someone to church would be Easter Sunday. Now, you don't have to wait till then, right? But invite somebody. Because this is something that needs to be a part of our daily lives, right? This needs to be just a part of who we are. But it's important that every once in a while, all of us together, as a group, as a body of believers, come together and do something together and see what God could do. Could we believe that God could work in our sphere of influence and through our circumstances and out of that allow us to share the gospel with someone else and to see 
uh, an impact in their lives. It may not be that day, right? It might be a year down the line. It might be a day down the line, whatever that might be. I know people that shared Christ with me, and it was a year later before that really came about. But somebody took the time to do that. And if we join together doing that as a church body, what could God do in the lives of this community? And then just continue that as a practice in what we do as a life, as a, and within the life of our church. So that's my challenge to you today. I hope you'll take that challenge. I hope that you'll make that commitment as we pray in just a minute and as we sing to be willing to step out, to identify, to pray, to share, and to invite. Maybe today you're here and this idea of the gospel is something that's new to you. Well, we'd love to talk to you about the hope of Jesus. Maybe today you realize, hey, I've been living life going a lot of different directions and I need to follow him. I hope you'll have the courage to do that. But I have a feeling that for a lot of us in this room, it's once again letting the genuineness of our faith, the authenticity of our faith flow out of our lives into the other parts of our life to speak the hope of Christ to other people that we encounter day in and day out and allow God to do the work that he wants to do in you. Let's join together as a, believer, a body of believers to do that. Father, thank you for our opportunities today just to be challenged from your word, but just the genuineness of the faith of Paul and how he was working, the genuineness of God delivering and, and, and bringing him to those places. And ultimately we know, Lord, you brought him away from that jail cell, but you brought him back again. And it was in the midst of the persecution that he lost his life in that very city. But Lord, he gained so much. And so God, we just pray that you would allow us to realize the gain in our lives of the gospel. That we would dedicate ourselves to advancing the gospel around us. That we would share the gospel with others. And that we would live out the gospel in our lives in, in ways that could be a, a place and a connection point with other people for them to know the hope of Christ in our lives. Lord, we love you. Pray that you'll challenge us and move us in these directions in these days. Lord, we love you. And we ask this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, 
God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.